Greetings, building science enthusiasts, and welcome back to the Building Science Podcast. This episode is brought to you by Bowtex Systems, a Texas-based manufacturer of a high-performance insulated concrete wall system. Here on the Building Science Podcast, we stress the importance of the building enclosure to the overall comfort, health, safety, durability, and efficiency of our buildings. And you've also heard us say that the enclosure needs to do the heavy lifting. In fact, the enclosure may be the most important first decision you make on your next construction project. We believe that some of the best solutions for a high-performance building enclosure are monolithic mass wall assemblies, like the Bowtex wall system. Bowtex walls include structure, enclosure, and insulation all in one assembly and is installed by a single trade Manufactured locally here in Central Texas, fast to construct, and labor-friendly, Bowtex walls deliver competitive first costs and provide a lifetime of savings on energy and maintenance costs. Better buildings start with better walls. To learn more about how to design and build better buildings using Bowtex, go to bowtechsystems.com backslash building science. That's how they'll know that we sent you. That's B-A-U-T-E-X systems.com slash building science. Enjoy the episode. Welcome to the Building Science Podcast. Welcome to the Building Science Podcast. Bringing the human factor to construction, design, and architecture. Brought to you by Positive Energy in Austin, Texas. Hello and welcome back to the Building Science Podcast. We are live at the Texas Society of Architects Convention, TXA 2017, here in Austin. And this is Christoph Irwin with Positive Energy here, as always, with my producer, uh, Miguel. Hey, guys. Today, we are talking to Daryl McMaster of Sustainable Homes in Bernie, Texas. I just got done a session where he presented. And uh, after I swooned, I, I stood up and decided I'd like to try to get him for an interview. So... Um, Without further ado, I'd like to int- you to introduce yourself, Daryl. My name is Daryl McMaster. I'm from Bernie, Texas. I'm a custom home builder. Uh, we build houses. Uh, name of the company is Sustainable Homes. Uh, we design and build houses that run basically uh, 100% off the environment. They run 100% on rainwater. They're net zero energy. Um, so they're solar powered, geothermal. Uh, waste is used. Wastewater is used on site. We're using it in the sprinklers. Uh, and we're also producing enough electricity to, to run the owner's electric car. So everything is yeah, coming man. from the house itself. Awesome. The house of the future. So we're also here with uh, one of Daryl's minions, Jacob Devora, uh, architect. Go ahead and introduce yourself. For your uh, not so much architect. I did graduate. Yes, I graduated from A&M in 2016, Texas A&M University, with a degree in architecture. I have minors in sustainable architecture and planning and another in environmental geosciences. And you hands-on work in the field. Absolutely. Yeah, so everything we have to do within the building process, I've been hands-on for the last year and a half. And doing sustainable, generating all utilities on site. You're going to be a force of nature, my friend. (laughs) Thank you. Your career. (laughs) So uh, the theme, we're we're doing a series of interviews at TXA this year, and the theme is going to be this idea of um, multiple dimensions of beauty, right? So we know that Clients come to architects and they want the home to have certain um, characteristics that are considered beautiful, right? And of course, the program and the visuals of the building and the, the whole aesthetic, the architectural design aesthetic. 
But what we're doing at this conference today is we're trying to expand that and uh, we're just interview people and find out what their dimensions of beauty might be. So that's the first question to you, Daryl, is sort of uh, along the lines of your homes are beautiful to you. Um, why is that? Well, I hope they're more than just beautiful to me. That the customers <laughs> oh, themselves, they usually have them, you know. So Good um, I've been building houses. This is my 41st year of building houses. My family's been building houses just under 80 years. Uh, we've been built developments, custom houses from the West Coast to here in Texas. Um, and so one of the things that we tried to change over in 2006 was we wanted to take our expertise that we had to separate us from other people and to take our expertise and some of the things that we saw what was going to be the future of, of home building. Um, you know, one of the things as far as architects go, uh, we love architects to a certain point. Um, and I know this is an architect show and we're trying not to be Very as sensitive, group. yeah, sensitive to them, but uh, a lot of times they are our biggest problem. Um, one of the things that uh, when we try to design a house, we're trying to look for orientation. We're looking for a number of things that try to make this house a performer. We're trying to build a Ferrari. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times... In terms the, of performance. In far as, as performance of the structure. And a lot of times the architects really don't think that. They're looking for uh, appearance. They're looking for... Um, I like to say a lot of times architects think they're Picasso. Mm -hmm. And so they're really not worried about material consumption. We'll get a set of plans and, you know, a wall on one side, maybe 22 foot, six inches. Well, for 41 years, I've been looking for the wood stretcher and I haven't been able to find it. <laughs> so we, what happens in reality is, is that we have to buy 24 feet of material. Uh, we get to cut that material off. The owner gets to pay for it. They get to pay us for the material, the labor to cut it off, the labor to throw it away. So we just think that when we can start to look um, a little bit different, take that beautiful concept and let's just start using material consumption and the cost of that material. Um, if we can go back into a house and basically try to save money by use of, use of material, can I then take that five, six, you know, $8,000, whatever it is, and then convert that over to solar or whatever. For us, we're trying to get to the point where we are building houses that uh, about a 48% uh, return on investment about 48 months. So that's wow. really kind of the key to it. So the investment, does it cost more to put in rainwater, solar, the number of these things? The answer is, of course, yes. But when you can start to look at it, when you can eliminate the total cost, if you borrowed money, what would it cost you? And we have analysis. Um, the average house we've run, you could be anywhere from 650 here in Central Texas, 650 to $750 a month for water, sewer, gas, electric, and the fuel for your car. If we wow. can put that all into your house, and you know the increased cost is probably forty to fifty thousand dollars. If you've got to borrow that at today's interest rates, you're a hundred and fifty. So you're hundreds of dollars ahead. The return on investment comes back much quicker. And that's really what we're looking at is is that our customers they go from environmentalist to survivalist. What we call now is the economist. Hey, this is my last house, or we've got some millenniums that are just coming up. If I can put the cost of my utilities and the fuel for my transportation into the cost of my mortgage then that's what I want to be that's able huge. to do. I mean, economic lovers move the world. And to be able to demonstrably shift from a low first cost optimized paradigm to a long-term cost, life cycle cost of ownership is huge. So that was, that was what made me swoon, was recognizing that. So let's talk about, 
let's see, there's several things coming to mind. Let's talk about utilities. So you're basically creating the utilities on site. Um, first we'll list them and then we'll go through them briefly. So could you list the, the functions that you're creating? I mean, I could think of them too, but you, you go for it. So basically what, what seems to be the biggest eye catcher here and got most of our attention nationally is rainwater harvesting. So these houses run 100% on rainwater. We have no other source of water. We don't have a city meter. We don't have a well. They run on rainwater. So it takes a good design to understand, first of all, roof size, storage capacity, use that's inside the house. Um, so there's just a lot that goes into the rainwater. Um, solar, we need to look at um, you know, what is the generation of this stuff. I can build an extremely efficient house, but if I have homeowners, I've got to realize that what we've learned is how they behave, behavioral patterns of people. I can, well I can put switches in rooms that will shut off after 15 minutes for motion, but it, there's also a switch on the bottom that can be left wide open. And if people go through and do that, it's human behavior and how to track and teach people at the same time. If you want a net zero energy house, we've designed it this way, but you've got to be use common sense mm -hmm. at the same time too. So. Um, yeah, the classic uh, phrase is there's no such thing as a net zero home. There's, there's such thing as a net zero home owner. Yeah. 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 That's a good way to look at it. But it's true. Um, we have, that's there's kind of funny. Rating right. We have a, a number of houses. The great thing about our houses is these, these people love these things like crazy. And I get their electric bills on a regular basis. So I get monthly bills from houses that are from 2,000 square feet to 4,000 square feet. And it's negative $4. It's negative $10. A lot of them are used by co-ops. So they're, they have a, $22.50 fee uh, that they're going to pay just for the right to have a meter, and we're below that. So we're using that side of it. Mm -hmm. um, it's just, uh, and that's really the key to it is people just, everybody's green then. They're green like $100 bills. So that's really kind of the key, the key <laughs> to it is that when people see this, it's, geez, I can sign me up for that. So that's, where do you where do you capture your water? Where do you put it? Is it underground cisterns? Is it no, tanks? Most bladders? of our yeah, most of our um, most of our systems are, are above ground. We have put a couple underground, uh, just because return on investment. We're looking at uh, the cost per gallon. Um, so in the hill country where it's a lot of rock, you know, we're trying not to dig holes or do whatever. We're trying to be above ground. Again, it's the cost per gallon. That's rainwater collection. How do you make it potable? What do you need? So basically, we have a, a system that uh, we've devised over the years. It's like a six-stage filtration system. So every time that it rains, we have a first flush. Mm -hmm. So we're going to dispose of the first 100 gallons. We want to be able to wash anything that's on the roof. The roofs are all metal roof. We found that, you know, metal roof's going to clean the fastest mm -hmm. um, and not catch up with any kind of composition shingle. You're going to have oil in it you've got all kinds of things that are built into it um, the metal roof just washes washes much cleaner um, then we have two sets of filters going into the tank so we want all the organic matter removed before it ever hits the water from the tank it then goes back through a, a 50 micron filter a 5 micron charcoal filter and a uv light which then goes into the house which is basically um, the uv light will displace a hundred percent of Mm -hmm. you know organic matter and the bacteria so. fantastic so you also i guess need to be mindful that there's not a lot of organic matter falling on the roof or you have screens that filter that out i'm thinking trees leaves things like that yeah what we're trying to do is is in our filtration system and when we design the house we're talking to the homeowner a lot of times we're trying to save trees we think that trees are 
Uh, first of all, they're worth a lot of money. Oh, yeah. uh, any kind of shade that's going against the house. Uh, when we look at heat sinks and how we're designing the house, we understand that our biggest heat sink here in Texas is the roof. Mm -hmm. Okay, so if we can get a tree to shade some of that, we're going to reduce the heat. It's the heat transference, which means that I've got to, you know, air condition less. Um, mm -hmm. So those are the things that we're kind of looking for. We do have uh, some houses, depending on the trees, they have some kind of leaf guard. A lot of times we found that uh, it doesn't necessarily work. So we have in, in the tank, we have a, a filter sock that goes inside of it that catches any and all debris. So that's built in before the water ever hits the Very tank. Cool. Yeah, so the tree comment reminded me of uh, somebody at a conference that cracked me up, defining a tree as like a... Uh, Carbon sequestering, self-maintaining, self-replicating shading structure. <laughs> so, and, and there were other benefits too, right? <laughs> All right, so we've got potable water and we've got water collection. You're also using that water, I, I suppose, for other reasons, for like maintaining what landscaping there is? or how does Yeah, that so typically what we would do is, is that when we – people are going to look to landscape. So when rainwater is your only source of water um, – usage of that water is extremely important so mm -hmm. we really want people to pick native plants Absolutely. that are drought tolerant and so that's really we'll design in six months worth of water you have a new transplanted plant we're giving it six months worth of water after six months it should be to the point where it can live on its own and the amount of water that's there um, with that you're dealing with drip irrigation in our irrigation systems we're using they have uh, ground sensors that are in them so if it rains for a day or two Basically, the ground will tell us what's going on. Hey, we really don't need water. We have water that's still here. We do have water, as you know, in Texas, it can pour for two or three inches in a day. Well, you know what? We don't really need water, um, you know, for a number of weeks potentially for these kind of plants. Again, it's grouping plants that if I'm in a planter that I know that the planter here basically is only they only need water every three days. And so that's really what, when it's in the design process of those plants and the use of those plants. A lot of times people will take a plant that needs water every three days and put it next to a plant that needs water every day. So what do they do? They dump all the water every day to each one of those. It's that design process, knowing what you're putting in the ground. It's just common sense stuff yeah. that grandpa did for years. Being smart all the way through. I, I know that to your comment about rainfall amounts, that Central Texas, surprisingly, uh, has many of the, the, like the record rainfall amounts in anything under 72 hours. Like, so, you know, globally speaking, you know, who got the most rain in a short period of time? We have a number of the top, like, 20 events historically captured. Do you do gas or propane? Um, like propane backup, I guess, or did some of these off grid? No, most of them are all grid tied, grid -tied believe yeah. it or not. Uh, again, it's, we have environmentalists to survivalists. Um, we do have some bomb shelters. To say that we don't, we do have that group, and we have generators and battery backups for certain customers. Um, and the zombie apocalypse? Well, they, each, it's, each one of them has got their own kind of funky. I didn't know there was so many scenarios for how the world was going to end, <laughs> but um, pretty much I got them all, and, you know, I, I've got them covered, so now I've, you know, taken a little bit from everybody and whatever. You know, it's, know it's, it, it helps us, and the interesting thing is they'll allow <laughs> us to try new things. We're always constantly um, – I raced boats for a lot of years, and so um, we were always doing research and development, and that's one of the things that we do with our houses is that we have different wall systems. So we'll go to a homeowner who has a west-facing wall, and we'll say, you know what? What we'd like to do here is build our standard wall, which is a two-by-four – 
you know, yeah, that has uh, spray foam that's in it. The next wall over, we've got outsolation. The next wall over, we've got closed cell foam. We got a two by six wall. So we're gonna be able to go back into these houses and then the same wall facing the same way. And we're gonna be able to say, hey, this wall costs us $3.85. And here's what the temperature is. This one costs us $6.75. So again, it's always performance of the house. We're constantly looking for that performance of the house to make the house a better product. Um, so basically, when we can make that work, then I can reduce the size of the solar array. For us here, what we've really learned is, is geothermal. Uh, we are firm believers in geothermal. Uh, geothermal is 70% more efficient than any kind of other uh, electric heat pump that's that's here used in the state. Not only that, but it, with our superheater, uh, we're taking hot water off the coils of the machine, which is making the machine more efficient, putting it into a storage tank, which is basically a water heater next to the original water heater. So every time that that water heater we have a demand in the house someone wants to take a shower it's not like i'm replenishing it with cold water i'm replenishing it with water that's already 150 degrees again so seven to nine months out of the year i'm getting free hot water absolutely. just every time that this machine is on that's so uh -huh. um so i agree with that completely and obviously uh, i need since a mechanical designer we'll talk a little bit about ground source versus air source heat pumps and Technically, in our climate, there are rejection heat pumps. We right. have usually roughly two to one where we're rejecting heat as a, at the house than capturing it. And one of the great things about some of the manufacturers, like Water Furnace, for instance, is that they do have these hydronic heads associated with their systems. Currently, on air source VRF systems, those exist in New Zealand, Australia, Japan, Europe, not here, right? right. And one of the things we're doing a session tomorrow is we're gonna, we have a petition on our website. That's positiveenergy.pro backslash petition. That is like, hey, manufacturers, we are the clients you say don't exist. Bring us the good stuff and we'll install it. So in terms of current draws and in terms of the infrastructure to, to create a ground-coupled heat exchanger, right, you'd have to do some math there because... You know, a good air source heat pump is pulling, you know, the whole thing, an amp, you know, nothing. And I didn't have to spend any money to dig a, dig a well. But this gets into something else that just blows me about, way about what you're doing is that, um, but like positive energy, you know, we're an, you're an entrepreneur, we're entrepreneurs. We don't have some deep-pocketed backer somewhere, or maybe you do. No. Okay. <laughs> um, and so the point is, you are doing your own construction. So I, I noticed that Jacob's hands over there look like they've been working in the field. I mean, they, they're lovely hands. But. So um, you've put together your own um, team, your own ecosystem to bring these houses to life. Is that right? Yeah, so what we realized was is that, again, you've got to make these things financially feasible. Mm -hmm. And so you dig your and own to wells, do that, like Right, so, it, so that's kind of the key to it. So... For us to do that, it's not like we go out and hire every sub. Mm -hmm. uh, most of the work we do in-house. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we build cabinets because we couldn't find anybody who would sell us cabinets that have no urea formaldehyde in them. Mm -hmm. When we build a house that's basically a huge baggie that's airtight, I'm concerned about the kind of paints, the floors. You know, all of our houses have ERVs in them, so we're exchanging the air. We're concerned about inside air quality, not just, you know, outside. We want to bring that outside into the inside. So we want to continually – we're concerned about – how the house is basically going to live, how people are going to live. And we're not concerned about, hey, we did this and we're down the road. We want this stuff to, to actually 
We want it to be Ferraris. I mean, that's what we're trying to do. Awesome. And if you've got some guys that'll bring us some kind of new heat pump, we got definitely customers who'll try them. So <laughs> well, I, I love I the mean, way that you're, just, you're data we'll try driven. It, so yeah. you know, the fact that you're data driven, numbers based. Yeah, I'm with you on that. Let's let's make it work. And it is the case that if you want to, you know, have really good hot water production right now based on heat rejection during cooling mode yeah you got to go with what exists so what's huge in what you just said is that you know fundamentally let's say the big performance metrics like someone approaches their house and they say what makes my house awesome right so they'll say of course it's the architectural design it's the program the floor plan you know the how it looks how it feels and then you know maybe ever since the 70s or since Al Gore's first movie and now his second movie it's been the energy performance right so Eclipsed by all those, or both of those, often is what about the people, right? What about thermal comfort? What about indoor air quality, indoor light quality, sound, odor, vibration? All these human factors, they should have equal footing. And what you just mentioned about the ERV, right? So we're firm believers or advocates saying, look, if there's people in the house, you're ventilating the house, right? That's the way it is. And if it's an energy penalty, that's fine because it's pro-human. <laughs> yeah. It's, you know, and I've actually heard a lot of people, certainly around this region of the country, where it's hot and humid outside, and it is an energy penalty to bring in ventilation. Mm. So hats off to you there. You don't really use gas and propane. Is that, is that right? Well, typically we wouldn't want to do that. Again, what we call our right, houses... Right, because they don't go off-grid. Right. So it, we call them point source houses. So everything is generated at that point. So for us to go and buy a utility when we are a generation station that doesn't make really sense do we put in propane tanks we do we have people that have natural gas i have to cook with this my wife won't do this okay i'll work <laughs> with you you know i, I don't make it it doesn't make any sense to me you have a solar array that now and so you, you're dealing right yeah. so you know have appliances have changed my wife's the same way um i have propane in my house you'll only cook with gas right. and now over the last few years she's been able to see some of the improvements in cooking that's now come out with electric so that you know electric resistive or induction both you okay. know so it's just one of those things that they're much better than what it used to be mm -hmm. and so she's willing to say okay let's go ahead and give it a try because we bought so many of them she handles all that stuff with the clients so she's absolutely out there all the time beautiful she sees all the newest stuff so she can come home and say hey this is what's out there uh where most trade shows where appliances are out because she'll spend the days just what do you got what's coming my way because she knows i'm only going to give her so much power I don't care what this does. You're only getting so much power over here to do this. Figure out a way to make Love this it. happen. Convince these people this is what they need. But back to the gas and the propane, um, the only time that we've ever used natural gas, uh, sometimes with barbecues, but we have also, years ago, we stuck in um, a fill station. So basically it's the same kind of thing with an electric car. You have an electric car charger, but they have natural gas stations. So you have one that's in your garage. It's just an appliance. So instead of using electricity, we have so much natural gas here in Texas. Anybody who has natural gas should have a fill station in their garage. Beautiful. It is the most efficient way. It is the cleanest running car. It's 25 cents a gallon. Seriously, you go out in this corner over here and it's 250 to whatever, you know, the comparison wise, the amount of performance, the longevity of the motors with natural gas. We should, in the state of Texas, everything should pick and run on natural gas. It's coming out of the grounds. We've got so much of it, it's just unbelievable. Well said. So, so a fill station, just to help people understand they're listening, is, is you're filling your car, in a conventional car, 
It's tank. It's fuel tank with natural gas that you store on your property. Is that right? Well, no. What it is 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 that you have natural gas, so you're getting it from the utility, and just like your dryer or whatever, it is a box that goes on the wall, and um, you know, Austin Energy one time had some of the fill stations that they were using. They had a Honda uh, Civic that ran on natural gas. Um, so you can get them, and what happens is it's a slow charge. So if you your car's empty and you have like a, I think with those Hondas were, I think twelve gallon tanks on them, mm-hmm. um, and it took probably seven hours. So you come home, your car is empty. You just went in there, you plugged it in, and it's slowly charged. So you had natural gas, and it was coming just like the same thing with the electric cars. How you Love come it. home in your garage, and it's about the same size as what an electric car charger is. It's about you know, but it's just natural gas. So. That's so beautiful. Yeah. So this dovetails into previous podcast episodes where we talk about exergy efficiency, where a, a natural gas molecule burns at thirty five hundred degrees Fahrenheit. One of the the silliest things you could do with it is use a thirty five hundred degree heat source, which is an industrial like a process grade heat source, to bring water to one hundred and forty, one hundred and twenty degrees, or to bring air to seventy degrees. It's just ridiculous, right? And when you look at natural gas, you think about it, well, what is it about natural gas? It's, it's in the molecule, right? It's in the degrees of freedom of that natural gas molecule. And it's this very uh, high energy density, lightweight fuel source. So if someone says to you, I have this fuel that is high energy density and lightweight, what should I use it for? The first thing you're going to say is uh, mobile applications where I need energy, right? The last thing you're going to say is for my water heater, for my furnace. Right. So we, we get along on that. Um, so electricity, right? This is the, obviously the, the big one in the room. You are using PV, I imagine? Yes. Some wind as well? Have you done that? No, we, we've looked at wind, and really, unless you're in West Texas, it mm-hmm. just really doesn't make – the return on investment is just – it's Fantasy Island. Um, for a number of years, and I don't – we haven't checked the recently. Vertical axis that, yeah, uh, we haven't checked recently. So if you go back um, – let's go back seven years, eight years. You and I could have started a – uh, a wind machine company. Mm-hmm. Okay, we could have said this thing will do double backflips. It'll do 40 <laughs> kilowatt hours a day, and there was no regulation. It was no nothing. Come to find out, it did four. Okay, so people were buying these things hook, line, and sinker. They just got them up to the side of the boat. They gaffed them. Oh yeah, I've got enough wind. And what was happening was is that I can't tell you the number <laughs> of times that I've spoke throughout Texas, and when I explained that to people, someone would come up afterwards. Wish I'd have met you a year ago because I just spent $40,000 on these wind machines and I'm four solar panels are getting more electricity than what these wind machines are. So, again, it's, it's location, location, location when it comes to wind. Um, so, basically, everything we're doing here, because you're dealing with homeowners associations, you're dealing with a number of government agencies trying to convince them that, hey, look at this really is the right way to go. And, you know, when they're concerned about, um, hey, we just want, you know, take two acres of grass and we want it all to be green and we don't want to see your rainwater tank. And there's an individual by the name of John Kite out of Bernie, Texas, who has been instrumental in writing some of the rules and the new laws for the state of Texas when it comes to rainwater. Uh, State of Colorado, it's illegal to collect the rain that hits your roof. so it's just it belongs to the state you can't touch it so we're really fortunate we're where we are um it's just a number of things that people need to start to take a look at um you know again everything for us is water um i can create more electricity i can't create more water Mm -hmm. i like it okay so the the wind thing though i I mean i hear you in terms of what's available 
But I think like on a large level as, as a global society of beings that need energy, we need to recognize that the atmosphere is trillions – don't trivialize that – trillions of tons of gases held to the Earth's surface by gravity and it's moving like this uh, slow-moving river. The amount of energy in uh, like a cold front is – you know. Dozens of atomic bombs worth of energy. So I think as a society, we need to learn to go after it. And I do agree that on a, on a micro scale, and actually that reminds me of jumping back to gas. So micro cogeneration has been, you know, always like talked about as this, you know, next great frontier where you get this like a, like a refrigerator sized device that you run in the gas out of one side and electricity for your house yeah. comes out the other side. Have you looked into that? We did. You know, and this is the interesting thing is it, it it's uh, here in Texas, we would say, uh, this is not my first rodeo. <laughs> you know, we have pretty much seen everything. Uh, when we first went to the first solar show that was here in the United States, International Solar, uh, it was in Long Beach, and there was maybe 2,000 people. We were there last year in, uh, I think it was in Las Vegas, and, you know, there was a 100 and some thousand. Tremendous growth in, in the whole industry. Uh, the industry's changed because originally it was designed for PV for houses, and now it's almost gone entirely for yeah, utility. utility so yeah. that's just one of the things that we're looking at so um, we've seen most people we've talked to a lot of people that uh, you have something it's kind of like you were saying you got a product I'll try it okay just heads up if it's a dog we're gonna tell you mm -hmm. hey this thing's a st. Bernard you know it, it doesn't work it doesn't do whatever I can't tell you the number of products <laughs> in the last 11 years that we've seen it's just like Man, you guys get off the crack pipe. It just doesn't work yeah, at yeah. all. But you know, it's a good. They had a good marketing deal. You yeah. know, so that's just kind of like, sure. okay, I'm back there. Let's get back from Fantasy Island. Here's reality. Okay, so I've got to sell it to Harvey and Harry at home. So right. you tried it and it, it didn't work, or you looked at the math and it didn't. Well, yeah, it just didn't. Okay, know. so it's interesting though, that that whole concept of uh, basically um, using our homeowners, using uh, yeah, using our homeowners as an uncontrolled experimental set, right? Like, you know, it happens hugely in air quality. Like, let's put this bromated flame retardant in the air. Wonder if that'll be a bad thing. We'll know in a few dozen years, and who's the, who's the you know, lab, laboratory rats? Us, right? It's just nuts, and we, we acquiesce to that because we, we don't realize it. But I'm old enough to remember um, wearing pajamas that my younger cousins were having their, all their pajamas thrown away because they had these flame retardants in them. And you know, I'm like, I'm at the age where I'm done wearing pajamas. I'm like, oh, really? So I was wearing those all those years, you know, the pajamas with the little feet, yeah. feet in them and yeah. stuff. All right, so PV. You know, okay. On-site power production is PV. Are you doing storage as well in your project? Um, some of the houses we are doing storage. I'll be honest with you, storage is the real key. Anybody who's been in this industry long enough, um, there are some people out there that make cars who make a big splash they're they're kind of good for the industry but in reality uh some of the stuff that's been brought awesome. out um it'll turn a fan on i mean a ceiling fan mm -hmm. and they're they're trying to you know say hey for seven thousand dollars we'll put this here bolt it on your wall and it'll run your house okay that that's it's nowhere near fantasy. I agree. Um, it's just so storage but it is, is really. It does get the message. Oh out. yeah, there's so some, it, there is a, there's is a tremendous amount of bling, but those people see that stuff and they see it on CNBC or they see it in a magazine and they come to you. Oh, but the magazine said it's like okay, that's just not reality. Uh, here's reality. So the BIPVs too, the building integrated PVs, the solar shingles. That, that's another. That's another one of those things. And so what happens is is that. Um, Coming attractions. <laughs> it's a great idea, but here's the thing is, is that, like I said, 
we've been doing this so long, that's not, this, this didn't come up, okay? Back in 10, 12 years ago, I don't, if it was a Arizona State or the University of Arizona, they were working in conjunction with a number of roofing manufacturers trying to build uh, composition shingle roofs that would do basically the same thing. Now, if it was such a great thing, it wouldn't have disappeared. Mm -hmm. You know, so obviously it didn't work. Um, if you read real close, and you, the, one of the guy who wrote an article about uh, the roofing you're talking about um, was realistic, and I appreciated that. It's like, okay, well, if your roof cost $150,000 to put on, then yeah, this might be financially mm -hmm. feasible. The truth is, is that when you have a composition shingle roof and say, you're in Texas on a 3,000 square foot house. That house is, you know, it might cost you 15 to 18,000. A metal roof is probably going to cost you 18 to 24,000. Nowhere near 150,000, 140,000. For that, I can, you know, I can do whatever you want to do. Net zero energy, I can power your whole neighborhood. We'll put a yeah. CPVC panel in the back here and we'll light up the whole neighborhood, <laughs> you know. So, um, and that's really kind of the key is that, you know, we've been doing this a long time and I could have built you a net zero energy house 20 years ago. I could have put a small nuclear reactor in your backyard and you could have said, hey, we're net zero energy. Conservation is the key to what we do. Conservation far exceeds creation. Beautiful. To us, it's a three to one. So if you're going to give me $30,000 in creation of new power, you give me $10,000 for an existing house and listen, we'll go ahead and we're going to change your windows. We're going to do a complete eval of what you're doing. What can we do to make that, to make that happen, to bring down the cost of what the solar array was going to generate. Um, so That's those beautiful. are the kind of things that, that, that we're looking time? to. Conservation exceeds creation. Yeah. Conservation far exceeds creation. That's beautiful. So, so we've said that on the podcast that the enclosure does the heavy lifting. It's the gift that keeps on giving. You design it once. It's a stable, durable asset. Yeah. Right. Huge. Beautiful. Um, so, Batteries. I uh, just want to comment that you know what's what's happening in, in seemingly an unrelated industry is that the the car companies, the auto manufacturers. Uh, let's say that Jacob and Miguel here are hipsters because you both kind of have that generation. Oh, thanks. You guys are more functional oriented, and so what's happening is the car companies' profit is actually not on the base car, but it's on those luxury upgrades. And so people are starting to buy less and less of those luxury upgrades. So the car companies are going, all right, where what's our big play? And so one of the re it's in and it's in, in it's in energy storage first for portable energy storage for transportation, but they're recognizing that over the long term, the global society right now is going off of fuels onto technology to power itself, and that means from fuel to technology you need storage in the equation and you need batteries and you need to solve this battery storage problem. So the big oil majors and the big auto manufacturers, for whom an industry like PV or battery storage is a little blip on their spreadsheet, right? They're starting to turn their super tanker, you know, kind of howitzer kind of gun toward battery storage. So it's okay with me that like a, like a Tesla is, if you're a Tesla buyer today, you know, if you're fully aware and fully conscious, you're going to go, I am subsidizing the advancement of this high performance electric vehicle industry. And this car is not the be-all and all where it's going to go, but this is the best that's available now. And it's a very similar way. That's what's happening, in my opinion, with, with house-level storage systems. And so I think you and I, as advocates for this and as technicians or designers that choose these systems, we need to stay connected and we need to stay on it. Um, I think we're running out of time. 
And I just wanted to wrap up by getting again into the business side of things. So Jacob, what is your role? And how many of you are there with working with Daryl? Um, well, you know, I, I've started to work for Daryl about a year and a half ago. Mm-hmm. And within the last year and a half, uh, you name it, if it has to deal with the process of building a home, I've done it. I've been in the concrete hole, pouring concrete four in the morning, um, you know, to being on the roof, hooking the panels together themselves. Um, within the last year, I've been blessed with the opportunity to just truly get fully engaged and truly learn um, and not just designing the home on the orientation and why it should do this, but actually being the one nailing the walls together and actually putting it there. So yeah, there are, to answer your question, there are um, not many of others like myself and the company, but there are a few. And um, so we are growing and, and it's just a matter of trying to not just so much get the job done at the end of the day, but teach and grow with within the industry itself of when we walk on job sites in full brand new neighborhoods and there are, you know, four or five different um, construction firms there, everyone has their own team and you start talking at lunch and guys are like, well, why are y'all doing that? And then when you start actually engaging in the conversation, so much of our own industry doesn't even understand what's going on. And that's by far... we get so much of yeah. our own <laughs> Yeah. Yes, yeah, so, so many people in our own industry truly not just... They just assume it's fine. Yeah, exactly. And, and then once you fully start breaking down each individual thing that we do and why we do it, everyone's heads start to turn at that point. And then people are like, oh, well, oh, y'all's houses must be to the moon with the price and and that must be so so expensive and and just unrealistic and then when you actually break down the numbers at the end of the day it's no this is you're breaking down the life cycle cost numbers too the cost of ownership numbers. yeah i mean when you break it down yeah exactly the actual (laughs) numbers the actual green in the situation you really truly can't beat a house with an roi of 48 months that, that's awesome. So we're getting toward the end here. Daryl, any final comments? Yeah, I just, uh, you know, thanks for the opportunity. It's kind oh, of unusual welcome. to see um, a place like this where we're dealing with people with architects because they're definitely not the average person that we see as looking forward to what we do. Uh, a lot of times they're the people who are fighting against us and trying to say, well, why would we do that? Let's just... Uh, Let's put more crown molding on. Let's put more granite counters. Let's do this and that. And it to us, it's a matter of okay, your total utility cost is seven, eight hundred dollars a month versus one hundred and fifty. Mm-hmm. And I think that when people start to see that, and it's education, it's how do we educate Absolutely. the people? How do we do that? Um, you know, I'm thankful for Jacob, and you know, Jacob graduates from A and M, and and you know, he's just he has to physically work. I mean, it's one of the things that we do, and it's it's been hard. I'm sure that he's been sitting out there and you know, thinking, geez, I got a college degree and I'm doing this, and so you know, he's fortunate to he understands the long term deal of this. I mean, one yeah. of the things that I sit down with new guys is it's kind of like the 
the movie The Karate Kid. You know, there's a wax on and there's a wax off. You know, there's a reason that we're doing this stuff. And so you may not see it today. You may think that I'm absolutely a slave driver or I'm a knucklehead or whatever it is. There's got to be an easier way to make a living than doing this. It's that long term of being able to say, hey, there's a whole picture here. And unless you can see that picture, unless you have the vision for that, and a willingness to get to that point. And that's where we think the construction industry is going to go to. We need people like this who are going to say, you know, we're, we can do more than one thing. We call them crossovers. You're going to be able to do solar. You're going to be able to do some of the rainwater. You're going to be able to understand the geothermal, a number of the systems that are built into this house. And so that's what we've done is we've designed a, basically a different building format that that my family came from which was go out and we hired all the subs to do it and that's how we did it versus now we're it's all in-house so we're trying to keep as much of that as possible beautiful well said well, well thank you both uh, my very final comment it has to do with this low first cost orientation one of the things it's done your your last comment there about crossover trades and crossover expertise is quite real is we rely on exploited either mildly or significantly exploited labor in our delivery of conditioned space to ourselves. And one of the ways we can keep that going is the labor is interchangeable. And why it's interchangeable is because it's not really that well trained. It doesn't have that much expertise, you know? And that's a shame that the hands that do the work are not where the expertise resides. I guess we're gonna call that a wrap. And I think maybe there's a part two hidden here somewhere. Thank you gentlemen very much. Darren McMaster, Jacob DeVore, thank you so much. And big thanks to Bowtex and to the Texas Society of Architects for sponsoring this. Yeah. Thank you guys. This episode is brought to you by Bowtex Systems, a Texas-based manufacturer of a high-performance insulated concrete wall system. Here on the Building Science Podcast, we stress the importance of the building enclosure to the overall comfort, health, safety, durability, and efficiency of our buildings. And you've also heard us say that the enclosure needs to do the heavy lifting. In fact, the enclosure may be the most important first decision you make on your next construction project. We believe that some of the best solutions for a high-performance building enclosure are monolithic mass wall assemblies, like the Bowtex wall system. Bowtex walls include structure, enclosure, and insulation all in one assembly and is installed by a single trade Manufactured locally here in Central Texas, fast to construct, and labor-friendly, Bowtex walls deliver competitive first costs and provide a lifetime of savings on energy and maintenance costs. Better buildings start with better walls. To learn more about how to design and build better buildings using Bowtex, go to bowtechsystems.com backslash building science. That's how they'll know that we sent you. That's B-A-U-T-E-X systems.com slash building science. science.